It's been a few days since Jesus rode in to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, This is the city with great significance because it's the city of David, the city of God's king. And David is the one who God had promised from David's family would come a king who would be king forever and ever and ever. And uh, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, crowds of pilgrims travelling from all around outside of Jerusalem As Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, it was the crowds of pilgrims who were the ones who announced his arrival. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. But even though Jesus had done and said uh, many, many things that prove beyond a doubt that he is God's king, the leaders and the people of Jerusalem themselves refused to welcome him as king. And so here we are, halfway through the week. Uh, Jesus has just pronounced God's judgment against the religious leaders for being a bunch of God-hating hypocrites who rejected him. Jesus, as we just read, uh, as Gary read for us, Jesus has just kind of zoomed back and shown that the whole city of Jerusalem because they have turned their back on God's king, they too will face judgment and destruction and desolation. And he tells his disciples that even the temple will be torn down. The symbol of God's presence, his protection and his provision for Jerusalem and Israel will be left desolate. And so we pick up now as they've been walking back home up the Mount of Olives, overlooking the city of Jerusalem and the temple, they've stopped for a little rest. The disciples want a little bit more detail. And notice there the question that they ask in those first verses. They say, when is this going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Uh, In other words, what Jesus is responding to here is is these two questions. Well, when will Jerusalem be destroyed? When will the temple be torn down and Jerusalem left desolate? And how will we know when you are arriving to bring the end of all history, the end of wickedness and oppression and curse and obscurity? And so Jesus' answer is in response to those questions. When will Jerusalem be ransacked and when will you come and what will be the signs that you've brought the end? Now, there's a a lot that Jesus says here that's a little bit cryptic. Uh, He uses some uh, very prophetic picture language here and some of it is not really clear necessarily exactly what he's talking about. Is he answering the first part of their question or the second part of their question? Sometimes it's unclear. But if you look there in your little outline, I just want to point out four things that are very clear that Jesus says. So listen out for these as we go along. First, Jesus says that the time before the end, the time before he returns, will be full of trouble. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples, preparing us, that it's not going to be smooth sailing. Things will get worse before he comes and fixes them forever. Two, his return will be both unpredictable and unmissable. No one will be able to know when or predict when, but actually no one will be able to miss it. It'll be universal. Everyone will see. 
Uh, he'll be full of trouble, be unpredictable and unmissable when he returns. And three, when he returns, he's going to separate the righteous and the wicked. No one is going to escape judgment based on their nationality or their family connections or religious affiliations. Everyone will be judged. And lastly, Jesus spends all of chapter 25 and the last bit of chapter 24 telling us how to be ready, telling us how to live in the last days. Make sure you're ready so you don't get caught with your pants around your ankles. So let's uh, have a little, uh, let's listen to what Jesus had to say. As we go, if you have any questions, make sure you write them down. Uh, you can either, uh, you can text them in, so in your outline, on our order of service, there's a number there you can text your questions to, and uh, we'll have a question time afterwards where we'll wrestle with these things. Verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over and be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one go in the, in the field, go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or if they say here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes that from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. And immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. 
then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, right up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. He would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with the lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. 
But while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you? hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, He said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Well, I think we've already got a few questions have come through the question line. Yes, so what does Jesus mean in verse 12 when he says, the love of many will grow cold? Mm. Yep, um, so that's uh, 24, 12. Um, so he's talking about uh, what, what it's going to be like between uh, his first coming and when he returns to heaven, when he comes back. Uh, he's warning that there's going to be a heap of trouble. Uh, Many, uh, in the verse uh, verse 10, he says, at that time, actually, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Uh, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Uh, So, actually, uh, so if you think of the parable uh, of the soils, Jesus uh, had told a a parable, uh, a story about four different soils. And There are different soils where the word, the seed, is spread, and and these different soils represent people uh, responding to God's word. Uh, And some of these soils, uh, the first soil, are people who hear the word and it bounces off, it doesn't go in at all. But there's actually two different kinds of people who hear God's word, they receive it, they get excited about it, they, they start to believe it, and you see that word starts to grow and starts to to produce a faith, a belief, uh, but it's actually not an enduring faith, an enduring belief. Uh, it gets choked up by desires and temptation and sin, uh, or it gets squashed by the hardness and the persecution. Uh, and, and what we see here, that uh, a mix of both those things, uh, that there will be many who turn away from the faith and their love for God uh, will grow cold. And, and we all know that when our love for God grows cold, actually that our love for his people and our love for others begins to grow cold as well. 
Um, yeah. Um, we do have another one. Uh, what do we know about the abomination that causes desolation? <laughs> uh, that's great. So uh, the verse there is verse 15, so 24, 15. Uh, so Jesus says, When you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, then let those who are in Judea flee. Um, so he is picking up something. So if, if you have Bibles there, you could uh, turn with me back uh, to Daniel chapter 9. Um, so while you're finding that, notice he says Judea. Uh, so Judea is the area that Jerusalem is part of. Uh, and he's, what was part of the question that he was answering to the disciples, when is Jerusalem going to be left desolate and when is the temple going to be left desolate? Uh, here, the holy place is talking about the temple. Uh, and so something is going to happen to the temple, an abomination will be set up, something that is repulsive to the Lord, and, and whatever that abomination is, that is what's going to cause that desolation, that barrenness, uh, that nothingness, uh, where the temple, the holy place, was supposed to be. Uh, so back in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, uh, this is about 700 years before Jesus, uh, and, and God spoke through the prophet Daniel, and he said to Daniel, Know and understand this, uh, this is Daniel 9, 25, uh, from the time that the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So actually, Jerusalem's already been destroyed in the past because Israel had rejected God. Um, and so God had promised that it would be rebuilt. Uh, God says, from the time that the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, ultimately that is Jesus, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So there'll be a period of time. Uh, the city will be rebuilt with streets and trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. Sound familiar? Uh, that's just days away for Jesus. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, the temple. The end will come like a flood. War will continue unto the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. So there'll be a time uh, when there will be a covenant confirmed between the anointed one and with many. In the middle of that time, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out with him. So in other words, uh, a time was going to come when the anointed one would come he would set up a, a covenant with many for a period of time, but somewhere in that period of time, he would put an end to sacrifice and offering and the temple would be destroyed, an abomination that causes desolation. Now, um, actually, I think uh, sometimes with Old Testament prophecy, uh, prophecy is that it's got kind of an immediate thing that it points to, but then once you get to that thing, you realise that it's actually pointing to other things behind it. So kind of like if you're looking at a mountain and you get finally up onto that mountain and you realise behind that mountain is a mountain range that keeps going. Uh, so from Daniel's day, we can actually trace a time uh, when uh, 
the, uh, the Roman king came in, Caesar came in, and he set up a statue, uh, an altar to Zeus in the temple grounds, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. Uh, this was the first abomination that caused desolation uh, because a pig, which is unclean, had been sacrificed on the altar. The altar had been desecrated. Uh, no longer could they offer sacrifices on that altar. Uh, now, that was the first abomination. And yet, as we keep following that mountain range down, well, what's the next abomination that, causes, that happens in God's holy place? Well, actually, it's when they take Jesus the one who himself is God with us, is the temple, the tabernacle dwelling on earth, and they nail him to a cross and kill him. I mean, what greater abomination is there than that? But then if we fast forward a little bit further, in AD 70, uh, so, you know, about another 30-odd years, uh, 35 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, actually another ruler came. A Caesar came, destroyed the temple... Uh, and that's what we have today. We have the desolation uh, of Jerusalem and the temple where sacrifices cannot be made. Um, but the good news is, actually, they don't need to be made because Jesus has made that sacrifice. Now, uh, anyone got... That, that's a big one. I knew this one would come up. Does anyone want to follow up that or got any counter or anything on that one? Danny? Europe. Are you saying a pig is a type of shadow of Jesus? What I'm saying is that uh, a, a taking what God had made holy and the way and the place that God has prepared, uh, has uh, given us, provided for, peop- for God to be in the midst of his people, for sacrifices for sin to be made, um, that actually that pig what it was, it, it was, a, it was a, an abomination. Abomination that someone would sacrifice something unclean on the altar. Now, what is different about Jesus is obviously he is not unclean. <laughs> but what is an abomination is that God's people would take their king and kill him, reject him, kill him. You know, that actually, it should not happen. <laughs> They should not have done that. And yet, it is obviously very different because it's actually through that sacrifice that actually sin is atoned for, that we are. And actually, if you follow some of the other uh, talk about... Um, so there's, there's a little bit more in, in Matthew and in uh, Mark's Gospel about you know, the abomination. Uh, and some of the signs that accompany it uh, the sky, actually, um, in chapter 11 and 12 of Daniel as well, there's a little bit more. Uh, and the sky will turn dark, moon turn to blood. Uh, and, and there's actually things that happened middle of the day when Jesus is on the cross, the sky turned black. Um, yeah, so this is, now I want to say this is not everyone's view. <laughs> so not everyone sees uh, a link from the abomination to Jesus, uh, but very much the holy place being desecrated, uh, I, think, I think fits. Roger. The abomination of the last days, we don't know what it will be, but we know it will be something in the very last so, days. Yeah, so it is... Yeah, so even though we've seen the temple destroyed in AD 70, 
I mean, it's possible that there's still more of this prophecy to unfold uh, that we don't know what it will be. Yeah, thanks. Yep. All right. Uh, go to another there's question. More. Yeah. Um, in chapter 24, verse 30, why will all people mourn? Won't Christians be joyful? Yeah, great question. Um, what was I thinking of this one? Uh, yeah, so the people will mourn. Actually, we, we picked that up in Revelation as well, uh, the first chapter of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Uh, so, so peoples there is actually, yeah, peoples, nations. It just means, you know... All, all the people. Uh, sometimes it means all the people who are not God's people, the Jews. Um, and so sometimes nations is used not as just anyone from a nationality that's not Jew, but anyone outside of God's people, so anyone outside of the church. So sometimes in the New Testament, you know, there's, there's the church and then there's all the nations uh, out there. Uh, why will they mourn? Uh, well, because the king that they've rejected has come and they know they're in big trouble. Uh, they know that judgment has come and, um, yeah, uh, that actually they will be held liable and responsible for his death. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if, uh, if you're in a place that uh, you've, you've thrown a mutiny against the king and... Uh, you're guilty of treason, and then suddenly the king comes back with an undefeatable army. Oh, yeah, you're going to freak out at that moment and uh, probably have a little cry. <laughs> uh, just further on from that, in 24, at verse 40, are the ones taken up, the ones taken up to salvation or the ones taken away for judgment? Great question. Okay, um, so have a look at uh, chapter 24 and verse 40. Uh, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Uh, now, actually, I want to rewind us a few verses. Uh, so, first, he talks about uh, the days of Noah. So, uh, God's great act of judgment in the Old Testament was a flood that flooded the whole world. Um, and, and the whole point of this flood was that God is not going to let human wickedness continue forever. One day God will put an end, he will judge, he will destroy the wicked. Uh, and he did it first with water, but he actually promised that in the end he'll do it with fire. Uh, far more, and, and we read today, uh, eternal fire, the judgment that continues. Uh, now, in the days of Noah, we see that there was another taking. So have a look, verse 37. Uh, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. Well, they didn't quite know nothing because Noah had told them, but they didn't believe and they didn't know when it was coming. Until, verse 39, the flood came and took them all away. 
that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Um, now, I actually think that I totally misunderstood this verse for pretty much all of my life. Um, and I actually think now that I think a lot of people have made that same mistake. Um, and I th- does anyone know that old song? Is it Keith Green or someone? You know, I wish we'd all been ready, you know? And a lot of, a lot of times we look at this passage and we think the person being taken is the believer, the believer's been taken to Jesus. And yet, when you look at what he, Jesus just said before that about Noah and people being taken, what's, who are the people being taken? It's actually the people who have not listened to God's word. It's the people who are being taken in judgment. And actually, that gets echoed um, over and over and over again through the Old Testament. Um, so, uh, Isaiah chapter 3 Uh, See now, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and supplies of water, the hero, the warrior, the judge, the prophet, the diviner, the elder, the captain, the men of rank, the counselor, the skilled. Again and again through Israel's history and in the Old Testament, taking away was actually a sign of judgment uh, as Israel got taken away into Babylon uh, in exile. Um, so I, I actually think here what, what is in view is actually the taking in judgment. Now it doesn't mean that uh, the others are left there you know, for an indefinite time. Jesus doesn't go into great detail there. But as you keep following along the rest of what he says, uh, actually in that time when he comes, everyone will stand before Jesus and be judged and be separated, and, and I think that, that all of that is happening in that one event, that one day of judgment when Christ returns uh, in one go. Now, that, that's a big one. Someone might have a, a follow-up for that one. No? Next question could be around that too. Um, the phrase, this generation is used. So what generation is this referring to? The generation Jesus was talking to or another generation? Mm, good question. I think this, we'll make this our last question. Um, it is, yeah, it, it's tricky to know, actually. Um, so sometimes I've been convinced that he's talking about, you know, this, the generation of people who are standing in front of him who are going to die out before the next generation comes. Uh, you know, that living 30-year kind of generation. Uh, and... I, and it's tricky because sometimes in Matthew, uh, that seems to fit best. Uh, but then there's times where, like here, I think actually it, it doesn't quite seem enough. So which, which verse are we looking at here? Generation, generation 34. Uh, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Um, so what are these things? Well, some of them are... Some of them fit, right? So verse 15, the abomination of desolation, if that's AD 70 when the temple's destroyed, actually, well, some of this generation will still be alive when that happens, so that fits. Uh, But then when you get down to verse 27 uh, and verse 30, and the coming of the Son of Man where all people hear and see and he gathers all his elect, well, that doesn't fit that, you know, sort of 30-year window. Um, And so I think there's... I think the word generation is actually kind of encompassing uh, 
like a spiritual, a theological generation of all people who are alive in the time between Jesus' coming and his return. So if you think, you know, there was all the time in history before Jesus came, and then there's all the time from when Jesus came to when he returns, and think of that as a, you know, a theological generation. It's a new era. We're in the time when Jesus has been and Jesus is coming back. Um, you know, I think that probably fits best. I'm sure you've got plenty more things bouncing around. There was a lot in there to digest. Uh, can I just say that's a really good reason to be in a growth group? Uh, our growth groups have wrestled with this passage this week. Uh, so if you're not in one, uh, great opportunity. You want to find out more, uh, you can ask me later. Um, but uh, lots of opportunity for us to chat over morning tea. So chat with each other, with your Bibles out. Uh, and if you've got a question you feel stumped on, you can come and hunt me down. Uh, I just want to make just a... Thanks, Kerry. I just want to make uh, just a couple of little points. Uh, so on the, on the back of your service thing over there, uh, I just want to make a couple of little application points about how to be ready. And the first uh, is to be ready for the long haul. Uh, so here, um, the parable of the virgins... Uh, and the oil, I think that's what that's about. Uh, see, we need to know that following Jesus, uh, it's, not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Uh, and like our brother Fred, uh, who, uh, we just, who was just buried uh, this week, uh, it could be a very long time here on this earth. And so to, we need to be prepared in following Jesus for a long and hard and tough journey. So be prepared for the long haul. How, how do we do that? Well, the best way to do that is to not neglect our spiritual strength and health and vigour, uh, to immerse ourselves in, in the teaching of the apostles and Jesus and the Old Testament, feed our faith, uh, do that on our own, do it in fellowship and community, do it with our brothers and sisters at church. Um, gear up for the long haul. Uh, the second thing I think Jesus really points out here is being ready, being a faithful servant means loving God's people. Uh, we see the, the faithful and wise servant, we saw with the sheep and the goats. God's faithful people, what did they do? They loved and cared for the needy, the sick, the imprisoned, the hungry. Um, and so here... We know that being faithful to the end means loving and caring, particularly for God's people. Little ones is code for Jesus' disciples. But actually, we love and care for all people um, to the end. And the third thing that Jesus says is to work hard in his business. Did you notice... Uh, the one thing Jesus does say very clearly about when the end will come, it's there in 24.14, is that before he comes, the gospel will be preached in all the world and then the end will come. What is Jesus doing with the whole end of history? He's spreading the good news to every nation. The uh, parable of, of the master's gold was all about putting what God has entrusted to us to work, to grow his kingdom. And if God's greatest desire and plan for history is to spread the good news of Jesus and grow his church, 
as faithful servants, we need to use everything he's given us to do that too. So I want to encourage you how to be ready. Don't be alarmed. Don't be deceived. Be faithful for the long haul. Love God's people and work hard in his business. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, if there are any of us here who are worried or frightened about the end, Lord, may you calm our fears. May you give us comfort at these words, that you, knowing that you are in control and there will be trouble, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Lord, please help us not to be deceived, not to be led astray, not to be convinced that we've missed your coming, that not to be convinced that another Messiah has arrived. And Lord, we pray you'll help us to be ready, to be faithful for the long haul, to love your people and all people, and to work hard in your business, spreading the message of Christ so that people in all the world can be saved. Amen.